We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. I can already smell the turkey cooking. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Those of you that have the Bible memorized, you don't have to turn. You can just flip it in your head. I think I told this story when I was in Bible college. There was a guy there that if, if you just flipped over, I, I'm just going to do it. I'll just flip over. This happens to be First Chronicles and start reading. And the, and the Levites, and he, he could just take off. And he'd keep quoting it until you told him to stop. He's had this photographic. So I'm, I'm hoping he used it well. Sometimes people like that have that and they don't use it for their correct purpose. They go to Vegas and count cards and stuff like that. <laughs> so hopefully he used it for a good. Matthew chapter 7. Where it, it, it's in the. Matthew chapter 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which, you know, you several chapters of continuous Jesus just speaking about the, it's really the things of life. But here's what you find out about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is actually who Jesus is. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you read who Jesus actually is, what he's about, uh, the temperament that he had, everything. It's all about him. A lot of people miss that about them because we're so used to the what you should and shouldn't do, this is and that. But the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Jesus gave was more than just an ideal. Sometimes people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they think, well, this is, this is an idealism here. But it was more than just a, an idealism to live by. It's the very picture of Jesus Christ as he proposed it to people that were around him. It's just... It's taking up his disposition. That you know, when when we become a Christian, part of what we need to learn to do is take on the disposition of. You ever talked about a disposition of a kid? A lot of your teachers really, because you have so many kids, the kids have different dispositions. Or you have so many kids at home, you have to be a teacher to have a lot of kids. You have a lot of kids at home. Uh, the disposition of each child is different. There was, there was a disposition that Jesus presented to us that he wants us to adopt and adapt and become like. You know, we talk about wanting to become like Jesus. He had a disposition. There was a way about him. And the thing about taking on the disposition of Jesus is when you do it, it allows God then to supernaturally work in you and through you. Yeah, you have, have you ever wondered, you know, why doesn't God do more through me? Or why did you ever thought to yourself, I wish God did more? Uh, a lot of that has to do with you taking on the disposition, not just doing what he said, but taking on his disposition. Because you know what? Jesus told us to go and preach the gospel, right? But I can go preach the gospel and it be in the wrong disposition. Y'all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus and just really, you know, that wasn't Jesus's disposition. And there are a lot of people who do that. We call them Bible slappers, thumpers. You know, they, they don't accomplish anything. It's because they miss they had the they had the right message, but they gave it in the wrong disposition. 
And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's who he is, his disposition. Throughout the sermon, Jesus talks about two kinds of righteousness. And we're going to kind of talk about two kinds of things today. Because I want to talk to you about baggage. Baggage. It's not what you think, though. Baggage. There two, he talks about two kinds of righteousness all throughout that. And he talks about two kinds of treasures all throughout it. And he talks about two masters all throughout. There, there's a common theme throughout uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So understand that, that Jesus died for you so that you had the freedom to choose. You have the freedom to choose. Uh, what, what righteousness am I going to live under? Am I going to live under the righteousness of God? Or am I going to live under my own self-righteousness? He gives you the freedom to choose that. That's why he died for you. He died for our sins so that we could be saved, right? But he died giving you the opportunity to make a choice. Before that, you didn't have the choice. No one had that choice before the death of Jesus Christ, whether to live righteous or unrighteous. You know, our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Nobody could live under the righteousness of God. The law did not constitute the righteousness of God. It constituted the law of God. The righteousness came in flesh. And so now we can live in, the, we can live in that disposition. That, that was never afforded to people before then. So uh, understand, he, he gives us the choose. He, he, you can choose the righteousness you live. He can choose the, you get to choose the treasure you go after. God gave you the, the you can choose whatever treasure. You know, that's, God's not going to force you to follow the treasure of, of the kingdom. You can choose whatever, tre- you, can, you can choose whatever master you want to choose. The death of Jesus Christ gave us that opportunity. The reality of your everyday life is, listen, every single day you are making choices. Maybe not even consciously, but every day you get up, you make a choice to live for God or not. Every day you get up, you you make choices, and sometimes we get in such a routine of choice that we don't even realize we're doing it. So do I, do I choose to follow the prevailing culture of the today, or do I choose to follow the master of the kingdom? That's the choice you make every single day. Uh, let's look at verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in uh, thereat. Well, so there's a lot of people that go through this wide gate. But the problem with the wide gate is what? Yeah. Verse 14. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few that be that find it. And... Uh, if you look at this, Jesus is actually presenting a warning here. He's actually uh, not given a definite this or that. He's actually posting a warning to his people. Uh, God will always warn us because he loves us. You know, there's a lot of scripture. There's, there's warnings, and there's God always forewarns. There's, the long-suffering of God is amazing to me. Warn and warn and warn and warn. 112 years, it's going to rain, 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 it's going to rain. Noah preached it every day. Destruction is coming. That's a long suffering. That's longer than our lives. Think about that. He preached longer about the coming flood than we live. That's long suffering. God, but that's how God is. He will constantly warn you before destruction comes your way because God wants you to avoid his judgment. God's judgment is true. God's judgment is sure. And God's judgment is righteous. Therefore, because a righteous God cannot be in the presence of sin, it, it, it calls for death and destruction. God doesn't want you to be in that judgment. He wants you to be in this judgment, the judgment uh, uh, the, as we go to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, being in that judgment seat already judged. He doesn't want you to, 
to be judged the other way. That's why he warns us like he does. Second Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slack. That word slack in the Greek is braduno. It means to delay or to tarry. So the Lord does not tarry concerning his promises as some men count slackness. Now that Greek word for slackness means tardiness. So, so God is very, very present. He, he's not slackful. He, he, as some people count the tardiness of people, because we do that. We all do that. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. So Jesus' instructions in the Sermon on the Mount, they're there to encourage us to modify our behaviors. That's what, look at the Sermon on the Mount. To modify our behaviors, modify it to what? To his disposition. To modify our thoughts to what? His disposition. To modify our hearts to what? The disposition of Jesus Christ. That's what the sermon is about. Remember that God is a God of love, right? God's a God of love. But failing to walk after him still brings serious consequences. God's a God of love. But if you fail to walk after him, there are serious consequences. The, the Lord doesn't ask you to walk down an impossible road. He doesn't ask you to live an impossible life, walk down an impossible road. See, the problem is most Christians have this baggage about living a life that they think is impossible. I can't possibly measure up to what God, you sure you can. The Bible says we can measure up to, to, to the measure of the man, Christ Jesus. Oh, I didn't say you were going to be Jesus, but he didn't give you a purpose and a plan and, and, and an avenue to go that you can't walk. And the baggage we carry is, I'm human, I'm a sinner, I'm this, I'm that. And so that's a lot of the baggage we carry is that we can't live up to what God wants us to live. Listen, when you take the disposition, you, <clears throat> you find a person that's very angry and they can't have conversations with people because they're very angry and they learn the disposition of a very peaceful person, guess what? They begin to have conversations. Why is that? Because they change their disposition. If you'll change your disposition to the disposition of Jesus Christ, you can live up to that measure. You can. It's not an impossible road. And so in, in doing so, Jesus came to deposit into you his disposition. He's not asking you to earn it. He's here to deposit it in you. That if you'll just go to his word and follow after his spirit, the more you go to his word and follow after his spirit and walk in the spirit, the more disposition of Jesus Christ enters into you, the more you become like him. First, uh, second Corinthians five and 17. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. If anyone, anyone is in Christ, a new creature. Now, what do you think that word creature means? It's katissus in the Greek, new creature. Anybody? Somebody throw it out there. Change a habit. New creation. New creature. New mindset, new perspective. Anybody else? Catissus, Greek. The Greek word here he uses means formation, building, creation, creature, ordinance. It's more than just changing your personality. You become a new formation. Let that sink in for a little bit. A new formation. I formed you in your mother's womb, God says. Okay? But when you are born again, when you're in Christ Jesus, he changes that into a new formation. 
the old formation or being formed in our mother's womb is we're formed after the flesh and we're formed by the way of the flesh and we walk after the flesh. When you're born again, the new form, you no longer walk after the flesh. The new formation is you're walking after the spirit. You're a new building. You're not even the same bones and skin and muscles you are. Not only does he change you inside, he changes you physically. You're, you're a new building, you're cre- a new creation, a new creature. You are transformed. You're a transformed individual. You're, you're reformed. You're rebuilt. You're, <clears throat> my dad used to make us rebuild our engines. I, I used to could tear it. I probably couldn't do it now because the engines are different. But I could tear an engine apart and put it all back together. My dad raced cars, and we, that's what we did for him. We had a mini, mini rebuilt engine. But those rebuilt engines often were better than the original. Why is that? Because the original didn't race as good. When we rebuilt them, we would take a, a hone, and we would hone out where the pistons come in an engine, because if you hone it out and put bigger pistons in, you get more power. We would, we would put high-range high lifters. I know this doesn't mean anything to you all, but I'm just, let me, we, we would put full-race cams. I don't, it doesn't mean anything to you. We would take the internal portions of this engine, and we would grow them and make them larger, and therefore that engine was stronger. And, man, we had the fastest cars in Cleveland. We, man, people just wanted to race us all the time. It's the same thing when you're born again. God does something internal to you. He doesn't make you weaker. He, he puts a full race cam in you. He put pop-up pistons and lit high-range lifters, and he puts a four-barrel carburetor. And Man, he, he yeah. Mm. Man, we're talking my stuff now. One, one of my best friends had a brand-new Chevrolet short wheelbase 350 pickup. Brand-new. So we took it to his garage. My cousin, myself, and him tore the engine out of it, and we put full rate and all that in it. Man, when he cranked that thing up, whoo, whoo, you know, the goosebumps, you know. And my cousin and I, Charlie, were like, eh. so, so Randy says, well, I'm going to run down and go get us something to drink. 30 minutes passes. Hour passes, two hour passes. So we get in the car and go down there, and his truck's flipped over in the side. Of the, it was so powerful, he didn't realize it, that he flipped that truck in the ditch and totaled it out. Same day. Sometimes we don't realize the power we've got, and we wind up flipping it in the ditch when we ought to. If we just knew how to harness that, and that you know how you harness the power of, of it's, it's the disposition. Do you not think that Jesus at any time could have spoken and wiped everybody out? He could have spoken and wiped everybody out. But his disposition said, you know what, I'm here to save, not to destroy. So that catastasis, that means it's that transformation. It's, you're recreated. You, there's a new ordinance in you. You're not after the old flesh ordinance. You're after the new spirit ordinance. The old things pass away, he says here. Old things pass away. New things come into your life. So there, there are four alternatives you're going to find in verse 13 and 14 that we just read there. Now, I, this is going to be a two-week deal. So I'm just going to tell you this. I, next week, uh, Mr. Bruce Plemons is going to be teaching Sunday school next week. So I'm probably going to do half of this here and then half in, in two weeks. So, uh, so there's four alternatives. There, there are two gates you can enter into. There are two gates that you have the opportunity to enter into. The wide gate, the wide gate has no limit to baggage. You can take whatever you want in the wide gate. Carry whatever you want through, through this gate with you. There's nothing you can have to leave behind going through the wide gate. Nothing you have to discard going through the wide gate. You can carry every bit of the sin. You can carry every bit of the self-righteousness. You can carry all the pride you want. Take them all through the wide gate. Because everybody that enters the wide gate is entering into destruction. Jesus said, 
He's given you the opportunity to choose gate here. You get to choose the gate. He's not telling you what to do. He's giving you a choice. Here's the gate you choose. You can choose this wide gate and take all of your junk of life with you. It's just going to be destructive. Then there's the narrow gate. You must leave behind sin. You've got to leave behind self-righteousness. You've got to leave behind pride. It will be impossible to pass through this narrow gate with all that luggage, with all that baggage, with all that excess. You've got to discard that to pass. Now, notice here, you, you don't pass through the gate and then discard the baggage. You discard the baggage as you pass through the gate. Otherwise, you can't get through the gate. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. That word cross in the Greek, staros, it means exposure to death, self-denial. A lot of times we, Bishop and I were talking this morning, we, we read words in Scripture, and because we're so English-minded, because what is the native language here right now? Well, it's changing. It's English. And so English is very dissolve when it comes to other languages and so a lot of times we look at words and when we think of cross what do you think of right right when jesus said take up your cross here's what he said take up your exposure to death if you're going to follow me you have to die makes more sense doesn't it because we don't carry crosses around here we don't it's self-denial the cross take up self-denial deny yourself and follow me so there's now there's two paths i got through that maybe i'll get through this whole thing today there's two paths you can go the broad way the broad way often while they had you know there's broadway in in uh new york and well there's there's a reason it's called broadway broadway is spacious and roomy there's lots of room for diversity of opinions there's a lot of opinions when you take the broadway a lot of ideas. But most of those have no moral distinctions on the Broadway. It is a path of tolerance. Oh, we're supposed to be tolerant. We have messed up the word tolerance in America. We have taken it, and, and there are portions of America that have taken tolerance. Was Jesus tolerant? Yes, he was tolerant towards people, not their sin. We have taken tolerance in America to be tolerant towards people's sin, not the people. It doesn't matter who you are. We're going to tolerate what you're doing. And that's, that's a mistake in, that we've made in America. But the Broadway, spacious and roomy, diversity of opinions, no moral distinctions, path, it's, toler it's permissiveness, and a man can follow the inclination of his own heart on this Broadway. When you take the broad path, you can follow your own heart. Even though we have a fallen, sinful heart, when you take this broad path, that's the path you can go. Now, the narrow way, the narrow path is different because the narrow way has boundaries. Now, this is something we don't like. It has boundaries. The boundaries are clearly marked in Scripture to the narrow way. Now, here's what most people are thinking. Oh, my gosh, here we go. We're narrowing down our Christianity. And, and that's why people call us narrow-minded. We're not narrow-minded. We're narrow-pathway. We're not narrow-minded. We're narrow-pathway. Narrowness, when Jesus said narrow is the way, he's not talking religious or legalism. He's not talking religious or le religiousness or legalism here. 
Narrowness is God's revealed truth. It's the light of God in your soul. It confines you to the path and the direction that God defines for you to be saved. That's what narrowness is. It's God's truth for you. There's a lot of untruth out there. That's where that broad gate is. That broad way is. That's where that, and you know, you come to the revelation of God places boundaries around your behavior. God doesn't say you can just act however you can act a fool and it's okay. I love you. He does love you, but he doesn't want you to act a fool. But there's a lot of Christians that are acting a fool. And God says, no, the revelation of God places boundaries around your behavior, around your belief. You understand that you can't believe everything, right? I, I think we're together on that, but I need to reiterate. We can't, you can't just believe every wind of doctrine that comes your way. And trust me, there are a lot of winds of doctrines. There's north, south, east, and west. There are all kinds of winds, but you can't just believe everything. It's got to be biblical. Uh, it also brings boundaries uh, of true freedom into your life. Boundaries in God brings freedom. Boundaries in man brings prison. You don't believe me? Take man's boundaries, which are much greater than God's, and look at the prisons that people live in. And we can start naming them, and we can sit here an hour and name the prisons that people are living in. Because when you go outside of God's boundaries, you're just locking yourself up. It's when you live in the boundaries of God's Word that you have all of this liberty and freedom. There are two, there are two crowds you can walk with. Two crowds you can walk with. There's the large crowd on the wide road. Makes sense, doesn't it? Large crowd, wide road, broad gate. That makes sense. But they're heading for destruction. They're heading for destruction. There's the small crowd. Small crowd. They're on the narrow. That makes sense. They're headed for eternal life. You know what the sad thing Jesus is saying here is? It's very sad. Nobody knows. <laughs> Pastor Don doesn't either. No, he does. What Jesus is saying here is that in humanity, there are more people walking the wide, broad, destructive than there are the ones walking the narrow, freedom, eternal. That, that, that's a sad thing that Jesus is saying here. One thing's very clear here. There are, no, there are only two gates. There's no other gates. People are offering a lot of gates to heaven nowadays. In Christianity, let's forget Buddhism, Hinduism. Let's start naming them. In Christianity, yeah, there are a lot of those that are offering other gates than that there's two. Jesus said there's two gates. There's no middle way. There's no middle road. There's no middle way. There's no neutral group. There's no neutral group. You're either for me or against me, Jesus said. You're either walking the wide or the narrow. You're either going through the... There's, there's two destinations. You can see these destinations through the Scripture. Psalm 1 says this, The righteous prosper, the wicked perish. Okay, so whose team do I want to be on? Why do we have so many problems making that choice? Deuteronomy 30 and 15. See, God speaking. I have set before you today life and prosperity or death and adversity. Which team do I want to be on? Life and pro 
Why do we have such a problem as humans making the correct choice? It's because we don't adapt and adopt and become the disposition of Jesus Christ. Remember that God is the creator, right? He's not the destroyer. Wait a minute. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. No. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They brought their own judgment upon themselves. That was the avenue. Fire and brimstone was the avenue that God used. So we, we want to blame God when there's destruction. But it was man's choice. Man's, here's the deal. When you look at destruction in Scripture, it's always man's choice. It's always man's choice. Well, what about when God destroys all the world at the very end when time is over? The only reason he's doing that is because Adam made a choice. That's why he's having to do that. Otherwise, there would be no need to destroy this world. Sin would not have done what it's done to this world. So let's go to verses 15 through 20. I'll, I'll, I need to beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving, ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. So you're going to know a false prophet by his fruits. Okay. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. You know, Jesus warned of false prophets quite a bit, didn't he? When you start reading Scripture in the day that Jesus lived on, he constantly talked about, why do you think he did that? Because they existed, and they still exist. False prophet. False prophet is not necessarily a person who puts on this particular hat and wears this particular gown and has this particular signage on him that says prophet and, and walks around, you know, and false prophet can be any teacher, any person, any, per, any, any individual that takes the word of God and uses it for their own gain. That's what a false prophet does. They don't just make up their own idealism for the fun of it. They don't just walk it around and, and say, this thus saith the, the Lord, and make up their own word just for the fun of it. There's always a reasoning behind a false prophet. And in Jesus' day, there were many false prophets. The existence of false prophets tells us this, though. If there's a false prophet, there's a true prophet. If there's false word, there's a true word. There's a true objective. There's a true standard of truth. So there's the reverse side of false prophecy. But sadly, in our society today, truth seems to be relevant to the individual. Truth is as you see it. You understand that's false prophecy, right? Truth is not as you see it. It's as God speaks it. Whether you see it, believe it or not, truth is truth. Whether, you know, I've said it a thousand times. You remember that old sticker? God said it, I believe it, that, saw, that ends it. You can take out the middle part. God said it, that ends it. Whether I believe it or not is immaterial. Only material for me, it gets me where I need to go. But it doesn't have anything to do with God's truth, not being truth or being truth. It's always truth. And so our society, though, has bent this to where truth is relevant to how you what your lifestyle, what, what, what you think, or how you, how, how you interpret. You ever ever say, well, that's how you interpret the Bible. That's not I. Anybody ever told you that? I've had people tell me that several times, many times. Well, that's how you're interpreting it. 
Well, there's no private interpretation of the scripture. There's no private interpretation of prophecy, prophecy being the word. There's no private interpretation of prophecy. It interprets as it is. True prophets speak by divine inspiration. A true prophet will speak by divine inspiration. You ever been teaching something to somebody about the Word of God and things come out that you're like, man, where did that come from? But you just keep on. Things just begin to roll out. Divine inspiration. Jan and I used to teach Bible studies, and sometimes driving home we kind of laugh because, you know, where did that come from? You know, how did that come out? What did that, you know, that's divine inspiration. That's Holy Ghost inspiration. And that's what a true prophet does. Again, we, we think of a prophet as one of those Old Testament guys. But the Bible says there are many part of the, the part of the dispensation we live in is there are prophets here. What does a prophet speak? It's easy. Pro- prophecy. A prophet prophesies, right? A prophet speaks prophecy. What is one of the gifts of the Spirit? Prophecy. See, we think of prophets as like Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Joel. But, but look, understand something. That, that's Old Testament. It's very, very relevant. But the Old Testament is a type and shadow, the Scripture says, of New Testament church. And so understand there, there are prophets among us. If, you, if, there, if God uses in prophecy, what are you? Y'all are afraid to say it, aren't you? See, that, that, that's where we get messed up because we don't really get dig into what God's saying about prophecy and being a prophet because we, we limit prophet to being a particular person called by God to, to say specific things about individual deals. We limit God's use of prophecy in the church because we're scared of it when it's a gift of the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that all gifts of the Spirit are to operate in the church as the Spirit, not as the person. As the Spirit willfully gives, that, that's, those are supposed to work in the church. So if there's no gifts of the Spirit in the church, there's no... Yeah. I was waiting for somebody to say, no Spirit. <laughs> A lot of times the gifts of the Spirit don't work in the church because God's people are one or two things. Fearful, or they don't understand. My, my people perish because of, just don't understand. Understand something. God intends for you. He wants you. He wants to use us in, in prophetic things in our life. Just like he wants to use us in healings. He wants us to use us in tongues and interpretation of tongues. All of those things are very much alive in the church today. Don't be afraid of them. I've had people in this church come to me and say, I really felt God, and I really felt like I needed to speak, or I really felt, you know, okay. What, what stopped you? You waiting for Pastor Don to go, I spotted you. There you are. Go, go ahead and speak it. You know, there are those that do that. But we don't do that here. We understand what the gifts of the Spirit are and how they work. We've been involved in it. We've, we've seen it. We've experienced it. We've been ourselves involved. I'm talking about Pastor Don. And I understand. Listen, if a person stands up and, and wants to prophesy, and here, let me let me just do this right quick. I told you it's going to take me two lessons. In today's evangelical world, prophecy is me, for instance. I'm just going to use this. Man, I like picking on this guy. Coming up and saying, listen, God spoke to me. I'm going to prophesy something to you. 
in two years you're going to have this great big pickup. You're going to have $2 million in the bank. You're going to be the, the actor of actors in Hollywood. And there's a lot of prophecy of that nature. Not necessarily, I'm just being outlandish, things that I know he wants. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Love picking on this guy. He's All gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy, are to edify the church. Not the hand, not the eye, not the foot. See, there's a lot of hand, eye, and foot prophecy going on in the church where people are coming to people and telling them, and that's not prophecy. God said in the Old Testament, that's fortune telling. And you know what God did to fortune tellers? Exactly. I don't need to say it. Because that was divination. That was involving themselves in the spirit. When you involve yourself in the spirit world, friend, you involve yourself in the spirit world one way or the other. Either you're going to do it by gifts of the Spirit through the Holy Ghost, or you're going to be divination of spirits through the devil. But if you evolve yourself in the Spirit, one way or the other, you're going to be involved in spirits. Don't, don't mistake here. That's why that we have to understand and not be afraid of the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy being one of them. Man, how did I get off on that? True prophets. Oh, I'm not off. Whew. True prophets. Prophet, uh, listen, here's the thing. True prophets will operate by divine inspiration. False prophets will claim the same thing. Divine inspiration. But here's the problem. They speak in error because it's their own desire and design. How do I know if it's true or false? Does it line up with the Word? If somebody comes to me with a personal... Does it line up with the Word? What does the Word say? The Word says that it's... Gifts of the Spirit, all that, is for the edification of the whole body. If it doesn't edify or build up the whole body, I guess if he gave me some of his money and let me come act with him, then I guess that'd be the whole body. So that's how you know. A false prophet operates under the guise of benefiting themselves. That's why they do it. There's a benefit. Either it may be monetarily, it may be notoriety, they may not receive a dime, but everybody thinks that the greatest thing since sliced bread because they have all of this. It may be notoriety, a name, whatever it might be, but they're operating. They're not operating to help God's people. They're operating to benefit themselves. And the problem we see today, again, I don't want to keep hammering this, but we have to be very aware of this. You see this broadcasted. You see it you know, over the airwaves, and you see it in different places is that people are, are using the inspiration of God to benefit themselves. When you do that, the Bible says you're a false prophet. Anytime you use the inspiration of God to benefit yourself. Listen, when you use the inspired word, you inspire others, and God will put the benefit in your life. God, when you use it to inspire and bring others, God will, it, but if you use it for that purpose, See if I can say this right. If I want to put this out to you so that you get edified so that I get some more money, well, now I'm, a, I'm still a false prophet because the whole purpose is to edify you, period. Stop. It's not for me to get one more blessing. It's not for me to get a million in the bank. It's not for me to drive this vehicle or that one. It's not for me to any of that. It's simply to edify you as the body of Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that is false. 
Jesus was very pointing about this because there were so many in his day. There were 26 other men that claimed to be Messiah in Jesus' day. Not a prophet, Messiah in Jesus. You understand why the Jews were a little bit leery, a little bit concerned, you know, a little bit overwhelmed. You, you, you can see that. Listen, Jeremiah 23 and 26. Listen to what God says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. <laughs> oh, what, what? They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. So there are those that out of their own imagination. What is your imagination? What, what's that? Think you think, yeah. It's the things that you can conceive and concoct in your mind. You know, there are things that people have taken the Bible and have really concocted these strange doctrines. One such doctrine, and I'll move on, was that, it, and it's in a big movement in our country, says that, and I'm not going to call that movement, because it says that Jesus Christ himself had to be saved. Because he took on the sins of the world, he himself then had to be saved by his own blood. No Bible for that. But they take portions of Scripture where, you know, unless you let this and this, and, and they add it all together and say, well, see, you know, if Jesus took on the sins of the world, that made him a sinner. No. That made him the lamb for sinners slain. But they take portions and this and that. You see how easy that is. And yet, this is one of the biggest movements in the world right now and in our country, in the evangelical movement. Yeah, you know, and, and you know what? Here's the, here's the strange thing about it. You have to go and dig it up out of their belief system. They won't just come out and talk about it. But it's part of their entire belief system that Jesus himself had to be born again and saved. So, a false prophet will try to say that the narrow way is wide. Jesus said it was narrow. <laughs> but a false prophet will try to tell you, well, it's not as narrow as Jesus said it was. It's pretty simple, isn't it? They'll say the broad way doesn't really lead to destruction. That's what a false prophet will tell you. They don't say it like I just said it. But they'll say, well, you know, Jesus was dealing with a group of people that were very narrow-minded, and so he had to narrow it down. They'll tell you all kinds of stuff. That's what a false prophet's going to do. They're going to make you think that it's okay to do certain things, that God's okay with it. That God's okay with it. God's, God's not okay with sin. God loves sinners. God loves sinners to death, doesn't he? He loved us to death, but he hates the sin. Why? Because it's awful greasy sin. No, because sin separates us from his love. You know, that, can, can I just, God despises sin. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. There's a reason he despises sin. Is because the more sins in my life, the further away from God I get. And God doesn't like that. God wants me to be so close. He wants to be at his bosom. He wants me to be laying my head on his. He wants me to be right there. That's why he, he, he. So we get tied up in what we're doing, and we forget about why we're doing it. And that's where a false prophet steps in and, and, and gravies his potatoes. That's where he, that's an East Texas term. 
Maybe I should use a different. That's where false prophets step in because they will, you know, listen, God, God is a loving God. Would you all agree with me on that? It is not his will that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Because he's loving and he doesn't want anybody to perish, that means we're all going to make it regardless of what we're doing. There's an entire belief system that says that. It's the largest belief system in the world. The largest belief system in the world says that. False prophet. If it's narrow, it's narrow. And again, narrow, narrowness is not religiousness, and it's not legalism. It's the freedom of truth. False prophet will advocate many roads that lead to God. You hear it all the time. All roads don't lead to Rome. They lead to God. Yeah, exactly, Scott. All roads. If, if you believe there's a God, you got it. Click it. Mark it off. Check the box. You're good to go. doesn't matter where, where you, what system you're believing from. If you just, there, listen, there is no path, no road, no gate except Jesus Christ. That's very narrow. That's what Jesus was saying. Because in Him, you're going to find absolute freedom. In Him, every other road other than Jesus Christ will lead you to destruction. Every single road you try to take, you know, well, I'm glad I'm not on the this road, or I'm on the that road. In Christianity, we have lots of roads. You don't believe me? Get, get out your, well, we don't have these anymore. I was going to say get out your phone book. We don't have that anymore. So <laughs> get out your yellow pages. Just look under churches. There's a lot of roads. They're all believers in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Let's, 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 let's get down to, y'all want to get down to the, yeah? Y'all don't, but I do. Let's, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Because Jesus himself explained what it meant to believe in him. You, well, you're going to take up your cross and follow him. You can't follow him unless you take up your cross. What does that mean? I'm going to carry that, you know, around the city. and no. Self-denial. Oh, okay. So that's one of the things Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 7, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said. Now, wait a minute. That, this is John. This hadn't even been written yet. So he wasn't talking about John 3.16 or Matthew 28.19. He was talking about Old Testament Scripture that had already been written. He that believeth on me as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit that they that believed on him should receive. The Holy Ghost had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So part of believing on him is what? Spirit. Holy, Holy Spirit. That's, that's part. That's not, some people will take that. Some people will take John 3.16 and run with it. I know because I was a John 3.16 guy all my life. Do you know Jesus didn't say John 3.16? It's in red, but Jesus didn't say that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who, if Jesus said that, he hadn't been given yet. That's because when you read John chapter 3, you see like at all the other how John is writing the things concerning Jesus Christ. And in writing those things, he had just talked about Nicodemus. He stops and said, because John was writing years after Jesus had died and been resurrected and gone back. And he stops there and says, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. That wasn't Jesus speaking it. But you know what? We have complete denominations that take a particular scripture. And if you just repeat this scripture, and I, well, I believe that God gave him and that he died for me. And uh, you know, Do I have to believe that? Absolutely. That's not all of it. Yes, yeah, you got to understand that what false prophets do, and I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I am going to take two. <laughs> false prophets take the word and divide it, dissolve it, and break it down to make it fit their agenda. You know, I was, uh, I was a Pentecostal before I was non-denominal. I'm still Pentecostal, but I'm apostolic and all that other stuff too. Got all this stuff going on. But I was a Pentecostal. When I went to their Bible college, they, they taught the Bible, but they also taught something else, their the denomination. They taught their denomination. When I was a kid, I grew up in a certain denomination, and they always taught their denomination. They didn't have Bible for it, but it's what we believe. And that, well, y'all, y'all, some of y'all going to get upset with me. That's false prophet. That's false prophecy. That's false word. If you can't complete the word and give the whole word, the best thing to do is zip it. Zip it until you figure out, you know, what does it take here? What does it take for me? I'm not going to go through. What does it take for me to repent? Well, I was always told if I told God I was sorry, then I repented. Told God I was sorry. I, nowhere does it say that I'm supposed to go apologize to God in Scripture. Repentance is a physical and spiritual action. Not only in spirit do you say, I'm living that life and I'm not doing that anymore. Physically, i got to quit living that life and not do that anymore. That's what repentance is. It's a daily objective in your life. Man, the, the situations we get ourselves into, simply because... Simply because, and again, I want to take this back before I quit because I'm going to quit here. We're going to keep talking about this in two weeks because it's very important that we understand some things. And the crux of this is that in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us how to take on his disposition because he's showing us who he is. He's revealing some things to us. And if we'll take this, we obviously aren't going to break this whole Sermon on the Mount down because that takes years but we're going to talk about the basic of it. And that was Jesus was trying to show them, listen, if you will follow after my disposition and you will understand the words I'm telling you, you'll understand this is me. This is who I'm about. There are those that say they're me. There are those that say they're like me. There are that come and say, follow me into the desert. They'll come that say, follow me into the mountain. They're all, he said, don't believe them. Don't believe them. Because I'm not telling you to follow me in the desert. Did Jesus ever tell them to follow me into the desert? Jesus, Jesus went out into the desert. He went to the desert to be tempted. But he didn't say, hey, guys, I'm going to go be tempted. Uh, I'm going to fast for 40 days. Won't some of y'all come with me? He just went. That's before he started his ministry. And understand something. That's what we've got to understand about Scripture. It, it says what it is. It's not narrow-minded. It's freedom. And the more we look at the narrow gate, the narrow road, the narrow way, the more we understand that our freedom is so great and so large. So we'll talk about, because I want to go to some other subjects that Jesus talks about here. Uh, So we'll do that next time in two weeks. Anybody have any thoughts? I know one person does because I can see them just, I can see their mind moving.
Absolutely. That's so good, Terry. That's so good because our nation is under such stress right now. We're in stress. Listen, we're under stress politically. We're under stress racially. We're under stress economically. There's been so much stress. And that, you know what? We've got to empty that business out of the church. We, we have to, the economic deal we have to get rid of, the political deal we have to get rid of, the race thing we have to get rid of. The only race I'm in is a race to heaven. Okay. Yes, we're all, we're all here, whether, yeah, I'll just, I won't pick on you today I'm on, I, anymore. I won't pick on Ron. <laughs> you knew it was coming, didn't you? Whether Ron likes it or not, he and I have the same blood. We have the same blood. Whether I like it or not, we have, so you know what, I'm going to like it. I'm going to like it. I'm going to like it. We have the same blood. You know, the, the, our, our color skin is different. Look, look. You know, but those hands fit together. Look, look, look at that. Look at that. You know what? Then we, we have to get a hold of this. The devil is trying to just destroy us as the church, destroy us as a nation. He's trying to take all of this and just make it an, an enemy within ourselves. You know what? We're going to make it a strength because we're going to understand we're taking on the disposition of Jesus. That was his disposition. You know what? Absolutely. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all the 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 news and the? Yeah, I'm sorry, I should have gave you the mic so everybody can hear it. The peace that the world is prophesying is not the peace. It's a whole different, whole different thing. It's a false prophecy. Anybody else? Anybody? Okay, let's let's take a little. Bruce, shout it out. Yeah. We just lost some of our color. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're all the same. Man, we can grab this. Look, y'all, we're people. We're people. We're people. We're people. That's all we are. Yeah. Right. Now, put God in front of that. God's people. Okay, let's take a break. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.